What's up? This is Rayshon Jenkins, and you're listening to the Chargers Podcast Network. Chargers fans, Chris Harry with you on part one of a week one edition of Chargers Weekly. A new sound for a new season, but still the same great guests to get you ready for Chargers football. Coming up, Stephen Holder of The Athletic gives us this week's opposing view from Indianapolis. We'll also hear from James Coe of Yahoo Sports. He's going to help you set your week one fantasy lineups. But first, Chargers radio analyst and NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah previews Colts versus Bolts. Here with Daniel Jeremiah as we get ready for week one against the Indianapolis Colts. I know you're going to miss preseason, DJ. <laughs> I tell you what, I had, to, uh, I had to put together a top 25 rookies for NFL.com and uh, forced me to watch way more preseason tape than I was anticipating. Yeah. And I'm glad that's over and we can get onto the game's account. My guess is that the fourth quarter of Sunday, no Amy Grant, no flow. Yeah, we, we, we right? talking actually football this week. <laughs> yeah, money and myself, we've actually got to do some football talk and uh, never been more excited to do so. This is a great match. I mean, it, it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of intriguing matchups and just yeah. storylines with Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni coming from the Chargers school here. What do you like about this Colts team? A deep roster. We'll get to the quarterback a little yeah. bit, but a deep roster regardless. No doubt. And they've done a nice job uh, building the trenches. And you start with the offensive line, an area of concern for this organization for so long. And, and they've solved that problem with, with some investments there in the draft. And um, you look at their ability to, to get some movement in the run game. You look at their ability to protect the quarterback, which they did extremely well last year. And that'll... Uh, carry over this year to Jacoby Brissett. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they've gotten a lot faster and they play extremely hard. Uh, I, I know there's a, you know, you say Darius Leonard's a great player. I don't know how many other great, great players are on this defense, but collectively the sum is better than the parts and yeah. they play so hard. And it's going to be interesting with Brissett under center. I mean, this is a guy, it's, it's not like this is his first career start. He has yeah. 17 starts in this league. Yep. What do you like out of Brissett? And what is he going to bring to this offense that the Chargers actually need to be aware of? Well, you know, look, some people are going to point to the fact he's run around a little bit and made some plays, but he wants to stay in the pocket. He wants to, to stay in there, make quick decisions, get the ball out on time. Um, he's done a nice job of that. He's he's playing with, a, you know, it's the same helmet, but it's a completely different group that he's mm. playing with now. So he's going to have a chance to have a little more time in the pocket. Um, he's a good decision maker. I don't think he's as, as accurate as Andrew Luck um, at really at, at all three levels, but he's a good decision maker and protects the football, and I think that's what you're going to see them do. Run the football, physical, uh, make good decisions. I think you're not going to see a you know big-time explosive, explosive brand of offensive football. I think efficient would probably be the word that they're chasing. We just watched uh, some plays that you picked out from the preseason and just his ability to, to make quick decisions, yeah. to, to kind of attack the middle of the field. Looks like those Chargers linebackers are going to be tasked with really taking care of the middle of the field on Sunday. Absolutely. And they're going to try and spread you out. They went empty a bunch in the preseason with him and, and let him find that favorable matchup. And you've got Devin Funches inside. You've got Jack Doyle at times. Everybody knows about T.Y. Hilton and the challenge he presents, but – um, they do a nice job with this scheme of emptying things out, let him find that one-on-one matchup and pick on a linebacker. So uh, this Chargers team bringing over Thomas Davis. Uh, Kaiser White is a former safety. We haven't Drew seen Thomas yet. Form- yeah, exactly. Well, we're going to get to see him in this one. And he's always been known as, as one of the better cover linebackers in the NFL. And that will be put to the test. Speaking of Thomas Davis and some of these other starters, we didn't see Phillip, we didn't see Bosa, we didn't yeah. see Ingram, we didn't see Pouncey, a few other guys as well. I don't think it's going to take long for the rust to shake off, especially when you, you see these joint practices and, yeah. and all the reps that Phillip and company got against the Rams and the Saints. Yeah, full speed reps, um, just not going to the ground. So 
I think that that without that work, without those joint practices, maybe there's some concern there. This is going to be a, an adjustment period. And look, there, to, to some degree there is, but there's adjustment level for even guys that played in the preseason because preseason speed is completely different, different than yeah. uh, regular season speed. So yeah, there are going to be some hiccups along the way here in the first couple games, and they'll find their footing. But um, I think at the end of the day, you know, faced with that decision, I think Anthony Lynn made the right call of let's err on the side of caution and let's get these guys protected and, and uh, healthy and ready to go week one. What were your observations during the preseason and just training camp in general? You know, I keep saying it, it's a lot of the same guys. Uh, did anything stand out to you that may be different from what you saw in 2018 that we can maybe expect in 19? Well, I, you know, I think you talked about the linebacker position and the, just the sheer volume of guys that are there now with experience. Like zero to 100. Yeah, it's it's a really, really good group. I think defensively, the defensive line, you know, having Joey Bosa healthy at this point in time is huge. Um, you look at Justin Jones taking that next step. We saw Isaac Rochelle really make a leap last year. I think Justin Jones is that guy this year. Um, it's just a really, really good group up front. We'll see Jerry Tillery get sprinkled in there, and he'll get a chance to see his role grow, I would imagine, as the season uh, progresses but those are things that jump out to me on the defensive side of the ball then you flip it over the offensive side of the ball I mean look there's there's legitimate you know questions in my mind let's see how this offensive line comes together you know and Trent Scott there at left tackle is is uh, that's a big assignment for a young player an undrafted player so um, Sam Tevy is I thought has made progress as a young ascending player who's, who's really emerging as a quality starting right tackle in this league but Trent Scott, I would imagine early in the year, is going to need a little bit of help, whether that's with one of those tight ends lined up next to him, whether you're chipping with the backs, or, or Phillips just going to have to know to get the ball out because that's it's it's going to be a big challenge for him early in the year. It's a nice segue into the tight ends because I think those guys are going to have a, a big say in how this offense goes, especially early on. Yeah. And just the versatility of a Hunter, Virgil Green, a Colkin to be able to block and maybe help out some of these young tackles. Yeah, and that's yeah, I'm glad you said block because we think of Hunter Henry and we know he can make some athletic plays down the field, but he's he's a really good run blocker. Yeah, not as good as, as Virgil, who's an elite run blocker. But both those guys, the ability to help in the run game, and Colkin does a nice job as well. You can roll him in. So you, Philip, you, Coach Lynn and Wiz said Colkin's had his best camp yet at Oceana no, Camp. He could play. He could start for some teams in this league, and wow. he's he is a good player. So. For those guys to, to be able to help out in the passing game, is that's gravy to me because what they can really do is, is, is help out that rushing attack when you don't have Melvin Gordon. Uh, to be able to have guys like that that can, um, can generate some push. Most times tight ends, it's a stalemate, it's a pillow fight, but uh, these guys actually get some movement in the run game. Obviously, Melvin's not here, but the combination of Eckler yeah. and Jackson, two guys that can catch the ball out of the backfield, how do you envision the running game looking without Melvin, at least for this week? Well, you know, I, I like where this run game is, especially when they get to the perimeter, when they get lateral, and you've got a, an athletic offensive line. You look when they go right, and you see Te- Tevy, they'll see him pull out there. You'll see those receivers come backside and, and lead up in there, and you've got those stretch runs. That's where these backs are really good. Mm. Um, now, and I think they've both gotten stronger and more physical. The challenge is going to be, can you replicate what Melvin could do between the tackles and get some of those dirty yards? You know, that's going to be... Um, kind of litmus test here to see this running game, what it looks like. You know, talking to Philip last week, he mentioned Troy Main Pope, and this that was before yeah. that first play from scrimmage against <laughs> the 49ers, just how he made some of those plays on the look squad yeah. last year, and, and you're like, okay, this guy may have something. Yeah. Uh, perhaps he can come in and make an impact. I don't know if it's going to be week one, but it's another guy that, you know, you have a chance to see what he can do. I remember, uh, remember old school politics, it takes a village – Mm. Uh, I think what, what might have been uh, was that 
It was either Bill or Hillary Clinton. It was one of the Clintons. I believe that was a slogan, though. It yeah. takes a village. It, it's going to take a village now to yeah. replace Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon's a great player. Now, the good news is there's depth and there's talent there, and I think throw Pope in there, absolutely. Get all three of those guys and and uh, each bring their own unique skill sets to the table, and uh, this is a great opportunity for them. It, it really is a great opportunity, and we saw it in the four games last year. They stepped up. Um, now, however long it's going to be this year, we don't know. Um, but can they continue to keep that standard that they kept last year? It's going to be fun to watch. Wide receivers, Keenan Allen probably had his best camp. He, he was unbelievable. Uh, Mike Williams going into year three, 11 total touchdowns last year. How much better can Mike Williams get? Oh, I think he's still plenty out there ahead of him, which is scary. And you look at what he did last year. To me, the confidence he has just being around him at training camp this year, it's a different guy. Um, having that success, you're seeing that Clemson Mike Williams kind of emerge who was – the baddest dude in college football at one point in time. And we saw that last year in, in, in flashes and even more consistent as the year went along. I think we see it from week one. I think he's he's capable of having a huge year. And when I say huge year, I'm talking you, you get into the 12-plus touchdowns type year. Wow. He's got that type of ability. And I think to me – I just like the way he's carrying himself. I, I read into that stuff a little bit from the confidence. scouting side. NFL and he, confidence now. He has it. He has it. Phillips said the trust-building plays. They didn't have it last year. you know. Yeah. So throughout the year, you have those trust-building plays, and Kansas City was a perfect example with those yeah. three total touchdowns. So having that confidence, I, I know Phillip, you invest in that chemistry with, yeah. with your wide receivers, and he certainly has it now with Mike and Keenan. And Phillip is one of the best anticipatory throwers in the league. And sometimes in his career, that's led to interceptions that he's been criticized for. Uh, they weren't necessarily his fault. There's a lot of trust that he plays the game with. So to have that experience now, and you look at the number of snaps and years he has invested with Keenan Allen, you look at his personal relationship and years now he has with Hunter Henry at the tight end position. Um, you now see Travis Benjamin's been here for a couple years. Mike now has been here a few years. Like there is a comfort. Inman's back again, who's very familiar. So there's a comfort level there with Phillip and these guys. And when you give a great anticipatory thrower uh, receivers he can trust, the sky's the limit. Nazir Adderley, I don't know how much of an impact he's going to make early on. I had a heck of a preseason debut. Explain what you saw out of Nazir uh, in week four, that had to have been the same guy you saw at Delaware? Absolutely. And, I, you know, we've talked about it before. I said he's a perfect complement to Derwin James. If you drew it up in a lab, you'd come out with Nasir Adderley as the high safety with range who can float over the top. we got to get these dudes healthy at the I same know, time, I man. I know, It's going to happen. Everybody just needs to be patient. Eventually, we're going to see that duo out there together. Um, but I'm anxious to see how much they give Adderley as we get into the season and how long it takes him to kind of uh, find a role on this defense because he's too dynamic. He's too special. Uh, with his range and playmaking ability to keep off the field for too long. Now, I know he had a delayed start with the with the hamstring, but, uh, man, the guy we saw in that preseason game, I know it's week four, nobody's playing. I don't care. I should have had three picks, DJ. I know, he should have had three, but the speed and range, you can't ignore it. Keys to the game for the Chargers. Week one's always kind of weird. Yeah. How do you view week one in terms of game planning? I, everybody's holding something back, but for the most part, you kind of know what to expect. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, it, the first three or four weeks, you're going to see some scores that are going to surprise you around the league, and you're going to, I don't understand, how the heck did that happen? And things tend to settle in after you get through that through that first quarter of the season. But to me, one of the keys at the beginning of, the, of this game, as well as every other game in the league, is can you match the physicality of your opponent? And um, everybody does training camp differently, and I don't care if you didn't play anybody in the preseason games, but hopefully you've had some physical practices, you know, some competitive, physical, full-speed practices, and that's going to show itself here in the early part of the season because sometimes you'll see a team come out and it looks like they've, they're have they ready to go. I mean, they're, in the, they're 
prize fighter that's all, you know, they're sweating and they're ready to, and you get some other guys that look cold and uh, look like they aren't quite ready for that. So to me, and especially with the Colts and that offensive line, the Chargers have to come out there and match that physicality early in this ballgame. Is there a matchup that you're excited to watch? Oh, gosh, there's a bunch of them inside. I mean, to me, when you look at, at Justin Jones, who's mentioned has one of his better camps to watch him and Quentin Nelson, who's a, just a grizzly bear in there. Uh, watch those guys go at it. Those are two strong dudes. And Mebane's going to see a little bit of him as well. So that wrestling match on the inside is going to be fun. I do think on the outside, even though the Colts have good tackles, you know, I think the Chargers, that matchup favors them, which, again, goes back to our expect some empty because I don't think they want to sit in there and uh, no. and try and block Bosa and, and Melvin Ingram. Plus Justin Houston on the other side. A guy oh, who the Chargers over the know way. Yeah. pretty well in yeah, the NFC West. It's going to be interesting. I, again, I think that it's cliche. It's, it sounds cheesy, but I do think the more physical team is going to win this game. No more Amy Grant. No, no more Flo Rida. man. Week one, baby. Thanks, DJ. No problem. All right, to get this week's opposing view, very pleased to be joined by Stephen Holder of The Athletic. Hey, Steven, I know it's a busy week for you, man. Appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. How are you? Oh, great. Looking forward to this game, trying to talk some real football, and uh, it's been a long time coming. Absolutely, and I know you've been consumed by this, but I'm wondering if you can just explain what the last two weeks have been like in Indy from the moment Andrew Luck retired to where we are now, starting week one. Oh, it is, I, I believe, without a doubt, the most stunning story I've ever covered. And you know, I've been doing this for a long time, 20 plus years, and I, I've never had a story that blindsided me more than this one. And I think it's, that applies for everybody involved, including those in the organization. I don't think anyone saw this coming. Certainly, there were some struggles with the current injury that Andrew Luck had been dealing with, the lower leg injury that uh, had kind of taken a mysterious turn, and he had a couple setbacks with it. But even so, I think at worst, I thought miss a little bit of time and be back pretty soon. This was never something anyone considered a possibility. But, you know, now that it's over with, in retrospect, I, I think Andrew Luck has been through a lot. A lot of what he outlined in that press conference, I found myself nodding along with him like, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And we saw him live through this. And I get it. You know, it, it wasn't what he football had become something other than what he loved about it, which was the part that was really fun, and it had become about his health, and that's not why you play the game. So this Colts team, Stephen, they got to regroup quickly. Jacoby Brissett, it's not like this is a guy who's making his first career NFL start. He's got 16, 17 under his belt already. Uh, what gives this Colts team the confidence that Brissett can really lead this team? And I'm not saying he's going to be Andrew Luck, but, but he can kind of pick up where Luck left off last year, a really talented roster. Yeah, I, I think the one point I want to drive home to people, and I think you're hitting on it there, is this is not a typical situation where if this would have happened and you had a a backup quarterback who, who wasn't really integrated into the team or hadn't had a lot of experience under center with his teammates, it would be a really disastrous situation. Now, it's still a pretty big gut punch, obviously, but what has happened the last couple of off-seasons because Andrew Luck hasn't been under center is Jacoby Brissett has taken all the reps. And so you're talking about all of the first-team snaps last offseason into the start of training camp, and then all of the offseason snaps in OTAs this year, plus all of the first-team snaps in training camp. He's taken all of those. So by any measure, he has been the starting quarterback in everything that they've done so far in 2019. 
So Andrew Luck wasn't a part of it, even though they were planning for him to be. He wasn't at at that point. So uh, look, I think it's a it's a as seamless a transition as you could expect under the circumstances. And the other thing about Jacoby Brissett that I think gives him a chance to succeed is he has just a, a incredible leadership ability for a young guy who hasn't played a lot of football. He has this way of relating to his teammates where, look, these guys support him, and it's not just talk. I mean, I see it every day in the locker room. He has incredible relationships with these guys. They love him, and they're going to lay it on the line for Jacoby. And I really think he's got a chance, and Frank Reich is the other factor here. Obviously, Chargers fans know him. Look, he's going to do uh, – he's going to give Jacoby Brissett every chance to succeed. I think he's got a chance to be – one of the elite play callers in this league. I think he's on his way to establishing himself as that. Uh, I think what they did last year in the first year in this offense, it became one of the off- one of the NFL's top offenses in its first year. That's pretty tough to do. And a lot of that was because of Frank Reich. So I think it's, that Jacoby Brissett is well positioned and he's got great skill position and help uh, to make this happen. So he's got every opportunity to make this happen. Um, I'm interested to see how it plays out. And Steven, you mentioned Frank Wright, also Nick Sirianni, another guy who was on yeah. Anthony Lynn's staff here in Los Angeles. How do you think that dynamic, the familiarity with each other, I mean, the Chargers know Frank Reich and Nick and, and vice versa, how do you think that plays up in, into a week one matchup? Well, Nick certainly knows Philip Rivers, and and that is, I think, one of the big things. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much turnover there's been on, on your coaching staff since then, but, but one thing I do know is he knows a lot about Philip Rivers, he knows what he likes, what he doesn't like. I, I imagine they've used some of that to their advantage this week. I mean, you know, Phillip's a tough guy to crack. They are they have a lot of respect for Philip Rivers. That's the other thing I've I've noticed this week is just how much respect they have for him. You have you have the two coaches you just mentioned, Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni, and then you have Justin Houston as well. He talked a lot about Philip Rivers earlier today and, and how much he has, you know, sort of really uh, gotten to, to experience him up close. Uh, in recent years. So I think there's a healthy respect for Phillip in that locker room and in the coaches on the coaching side. And, but at the same time, I think that does help them a little bit. You know, you need all the help you can get against a guy like that who is so cerebral and so experienced uh, in addition to obviously what he can do physically. So, so they have, that, that's going to be sort of the game within the game. I think it's going to be very interesting, but, but I do think also I, I would add that, that Frank and Nick Sirianni, they make a really good combination. And, when Frank Reich got the job, I think Nick Sirianni, from all intents and purposes, was his first phone call, and he wanted to make sure he got him on his staff. They just work really well together, and they're like-minded. You know, they really actually do finish each other's sentences. I mean, it, it really is a really good combination that these two guys have, and I think that, more than anything, or as much as anything, uh, has, has helped fuel the success they had on offense last year. Hey, Steven, outside of Phillip, what is this Colts team saying about the Chargers? I see a lot of similarities between these two teams. Uh, both won their first-round game last year. Both have very deep rosters. Uh, what, what is this Colts team saying about the Chargers as a whole, not just Phillip? Well, you hit on something there about the deep roster, and I think that's something I've gotten from the Colts, which is I, I think right now uh, from the outside looking in, a lot of what you're hearing about the Chargers is about who's not going to play. And, and certainly, that's a huge story. There's no question about it. And I think the Colts are probably looking to, to take advantage of that in any way that they can, as they should. But at the same time, everything I hear from the Colts about the Chargers is 
I, I mean, look, everyone says that, but I think in this particular case, they've watched the film and they see it. And the, the coaches, the Colts coaches, have done a good job of outlining what they're up against. And so I think they know this is a sizable challenge. They are not getting sort of uh, sucked into the idea that this is a different team because of who's not out there. So the main emphasis I've heard all week long has been mostly uh, has been mostly centered around you know the depth of this roster, this, this Chargers roster, the talent that they have, and, and what the Colts are up against. They have a real healthy respect for what they're going to see on Sunday. Stephen, you mentioned the the matchups within the matchup, and one of the things I'm looking at is is Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams and Hunter Henry matching up against that Colts secondary. Is there a specific matchup that you're looking at? It could be on any side of the ball that you're going to have eyes on. Well, look, I'm I'm interested to see how they play Keenan Allen in particular. I I want, the one thing I'd say is that they have the ability this year to play more man defense. Now, the Colts last year, I believe the number was a, around. Oh, 70% zone, if I'm not mistaken. I could be a little off there. But they are a heavy, heavy zone team. And they run basically what's a, a version of the Tampa 2 defense. I mean, that's their base defense. They mix it up. They're going to run, you know, cover three, cover four. Uh, they'll go man sometimes and match up. They do some different things. And, and then they'll use a combination of, of coverages from time to time, maybe man on the outside and on the perimeter and do some different things. But you're going to see a lot of zone. That's what they do. They keep everything in front of them. They key off the quarterback. So that's all great. But when you have a great player, uh, you know, a guy who can create some matchup issues, then it becomes a question. Do you want to match up? Do you want to sort of take that guy, try, try to match that guy up and be aggressive with him and press him? I, I don't know, you know, how they would fare doing that. But, but when you're playing a great player, you have to kind of decide, uh, are we going to give him the same look all day, right? I mean, is that really the way to go about it? Yeah. So there's a lot of little questions that the Colts have to, to kind of come to grips with and, you know, defending a guy like that. And then when it comes to tight end, I'm interested to see what the Colts do there. They've got this dime package that they really seem to like. And what they've done is in the past they've used uh, an extra safety, a third safety that they've brought in and sort of sometimes match that guy up with the tight end. But what they're doing this year is they've taken a corner, Quincy Wilson, uh, who's basically looking like their fourth corner right now, but they like him a lot because he, he's a unique guy physically. He's 6'2", 200 pounds, and they have used him as their dime defensive back this year as opposed to the safety. And what we see mm-hmm. in training camp is him matching up on tight ends, and they really like that matchup. So I think you could see a lot of uh, – you know, six defensive back lineup potentially this Sunday. I don't know how much they're going to use it, but if training camp was any indication, I think that's something we'll see a lot from the Colts this year. And I'm interested to see it because it could really give them some advantages. So they like that lineup. Don't be surprised if you see it. Very interesting. You know, there's some household names. We know T.Y. Hilton. You know, we know Darius Leonard, rookie of the year last year, uh, was really in that competition with Derwin James. Maybe some under-the-radar guys, Stephen. Who should Chargers fans know about going into this matchup? Well, I'm interested, I'm very interested to see what is the role of Devin Funches this year. You know, he was a guy who, you know, a lot of people raised their eyebrows at that signing because, you know, he got over $10 million for a one-year deal from the Colts. You know, granted, it's a lot of money uh, for a guy who maybe – Carolina fans saw as an underachiever 
But I, I do think that it's an interesting signing for them because he provides them with something the Colts haven't had, which is uh, a bigger body receiver. They had that at, at tight end with Eric Ebel last year, but they really have lacked that at wide receiver. You talked about T.Y. Hilton. Well, I mean, look, what's the defining characteristic of T.Y. Hilton physically? Undersized. There's no question about it. You know, 5'9", 190 pounds. So here they now bring in six four massive targets who isn't going to run a 4-3-40, granted, but he gives them a different look. He's going to be a little bit of a possession receiver. But one area their receivers struggled last year was in the red zone. Well, this is a guy who gives you some options down there, back shoulder throws, uh, maybe, you know, some fades. You know, he can give you some different looks down in the red zone. I think that's, that, that was a big, I think, motivation behind the signing of Devin Punches. And the other thing I'd say about him is Frank Reich, was really, I think, the driving force behind that transaction. And he doesn't often really drive the bus on player acquisitions. But he's, he's, there's been a couple of guys so far that Frank Reich has really banged the table for. And the first one last year was Eric Ebron. Wow. And you see how that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> and so he did it again this year with Devin Funches because he really liked the, the matchups that that provides them. So I think, you know, Frank Reich's got a good eye. I trust him on that. We'll have to see how it works out. Another guy I would mention, I'll say it, receiver, is uh, is Paris Campbell, rookie wide receiver from Ohio State. They got big plans for this kid. He's probably going to start out as a slot receiver, but his role could grow. Uh, you didn't see much of him in the preseason because he was injured, but he's back. He's 100%. He looks at least 100%. And this kid is lightning in a bottle, 4-3-4 in the 40, and they've got all kinds of run after catch plans for him. So look for screens, look for uh, quick slants, potentially reverses. I mean, he can do it all. Uh, he, he really thrived in that role with Urban Meyer and, and the subsequent coaching staff at Ohio State. So they're excited about him. And I'll throw on one other guy, Rocky Austin, their, their first draft pick, early second round pick. That's right. He is a guy who has really been uh, just a, a really aggressive matchup uh, in training camp and in preseason. You know, it may take some time for him to make the adjustment to the regular season as a rookie, clearly, but this guy has starting potential almost immediately. It may not happen immediately, but this guy has really number one cornerback potential. I, I was, I mean, I was very, very surprised at how quickly we saw his impact. Awesome insight, Steve. And I want to get you out of here on this. Week one's always funny. You never know what to expect. Teams are probably holding some stuff back that you didn't see during the preseason. What do you think is going to decide this game? You know, I think it's really going to be the Colts' defense that, that really decides this. I think the Colts will make some plays on offense, but, but to, to put too much on Jacoby Brissett right out of the gate, I don't think that's really fair. Especially going on the road, you know, going up against a marquee opponent, I, I don't think you want to put too much on his shoulders. So I think Frank Wright probably, you know, is careful about how much he presses the gas pedal here. Uh, from an offensive play-calling standpoint. I really think their opportunity is on defense. Uh, they've got to show that they can take a step this year in their pass rush. And that's what getting Justin Houston was all about. And the guys who they're bringing back from last season, they have to take the next step in terms of the front seven and getting to the quarterback. You've got to get some, uh, you got to get some pressure on Phillips, and you've got to be able to collapse that pocket. They can do that with the defensive tackles that they have. I love Danico Autry. You probably know him from the AFC West, but he's a different player since he's been in Indianapolis. So that's the real ticket, I really believe, is the defense getting pressure up front and then really the, the secondary taking the next step. They think that they have 
the ability to do that. I think they've got a playmaking defense, and we'll see what they're all about because it's been a huge test right out of the gate. Stephen Holder, The Athletic. Let me tell you guys something. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you're doing yourself a disservice. Stephen, you do awesome work. We look forward to seeing you in Los Angeles here shortly. All right. Hey, looking forward to it. Can't wait to kick off. All right, guys, we're done with the fantasy draft talk. Ready to get to week one. Yahoo's James Coe joins me to help set your fantasy lineups. James, it's been a while, brother. It's always a pleasure. The most wonderful time of the year, right? Oh, my goodness. It's like a second Christmas. It really <laughs> is, man. I, I mean, this is the time of the year, man, where I just get fired up. I mean, really, the last month has just been phenomenal for me. You know, it, it really is. Every single day I get fired up. Every single day I, I'm just super excited to talk football and think about football and watch football. And, and here we are Sunday. Let's go. Let's go, man. And, you know, I'll just start with this because I can envision a lot of fantasy owners they're checking out their lineup right now. Maybe they're a little nervous about a flex position or a tight end matchup. They're thinking twice about what's your general philosophy for approaching week one? Because we think we know, but we really don't. The funniest thing about week one is everyone's got all these crazy strong takes about, you know, oh, you need to draft Antonio Brown here. You need to draft Stephon Diggs here. Oh, man, you know, you, you can't. How are you going to have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback for? You know, he needs to be the quarterback one. Or You know, yeah, they have yeah, such yeah. strong opinions. They have all these opinions coming into the draft, and then literally week one, it's like the same guy who's telling me that Aaron Rodgers needs to be the quarterback one is like, oh, should I play him, you know, against the Bears? You, you know what I mean? It's, like, it, <laughs> yes. it, it's funny. It's funny how it works out because, like, you know, you do all these this drafting, and then, you know, when the, when the actual week comes, you're playing the matchup. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So you might be playing Matt Breida, um, you know, uh, uh, ahead of a guy, somebody like Leonard Fournette or whatever it might be. If you don't like the matchup, you might just say, ah, screw the draft position. I'm just going to take, I'm just going to play the matchup. You know what I'm saying? Um, and in, in, to me in week one, I, I think I do a lot less of that than, uh, than, than most folks try to do. Um, I mean, you drafted the guys because you like them, you know, run them out there and see what happens. Yeah. And, and I think that's the way to go, especially you can get into that mode of second guessing in matchups. And it's one thing to watch what goes on in preseason and hear all the hype about each respective player. But I just said it, we don't know. And I think week one kind of sets the table at least for the rest of the season. You got to put the pieces in place, if you will. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. And, and don't get wrong. Matchups do play a, um, a role, but as you mentioned, you're not sure what teams are going to look like. You know what I'm saying? There's new defensive coordinators. There's new players. There's players lost, players added. I mean, you know, again, if you talked to me three months ago, I would have told you the Chargers had the best secondary in the NFL, right? But Derwin James goes on IR, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, wait a second now. Do they have the best secondary? I don't – you know what I mean? Like, I mean, somebody like Derwin James, who's an absolute stud, an absolute superstar at that position – completely changes that dynamic yeah. of what is happening with that secondary. So, you know, some a team that was extremely strong last year, you know, maybe, you know, I'm talking defensively or even offensively, may not be the case uh, here in 2019. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that's kind of where I approach it. Like I said, week one, you got your guys, roll them out there. Well, James, let's start with the Chargers, and then I'll get into just some some general fantasy advice for week one. Chargers playing the Colts, a pretty good defense. 
We know Melvin Gore is not going to be in this game, so it's probably going to be a combination of Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. I've talked to you about Austin Eckler for the last couple of years, and you were one yeah. of the first to be on the Austin Eckler train. Um, he's going to have standalone value, I think, whether or not Melvin is in the lineup or not. Uh, what do you project out of this Chargers backfield in week one, knowing it's going to be a combination of J.J. and Eckler? Well, I mean, you know, for PPR purposes, I think Eckler, you're right, will have standalone value. Um, I anticipate he will see, you know, anywhere between three to five targets every single week. So we're talking, you know, anywhere between three and five receptions every single week. And in PPR, that's huge to get that from a satellite back in your flex position, you know? So, yes, I think he'll have standalone value in PPR in standard leagues, you know, a little bit less, right? Um, Yardage-wise, we're not exactly sure what he's going to see. To me, he, because he's such an explosive athlete, he could always take one to the house every single time. I mean, he can answer a house call every single time he touches the ball. That's why I believe the Chargers absolutely love him and uh, offensive coordinator Ken Wisenhunt moves him all around the field. I mean, we've seen him play flanker. We've seen him play in the slot. I mean, we've seen him in the backfield, obviously, but he's lined up everywhere, um, and they move him. He, he's Ken Wisenhunt's movable chess piece, you know, whether they talk about him or not. Um, I think he is one of the most important pieces to that offense. Um, you know, but for fantasy purposes, the yardage, I think, is a little bit up and down. I think Justin Jackson, I think we know what we're going to get. You know, it, um, he, he should see anywhere between 50 to 75 yards. Maybe he punches one in for a touchdown. I think he's a more stable play. But for me, again, I'm always trying to hit those home runs. I'll, I'll roll with Austin Eckler uh, each and every time. All right, the tight end position, outside of those top three, what, Kittle, Ertz, and Kelsey, you know, Hunter Henry making his way back into this lineup, and he's been 100% for a long time now. Uh, the rapport that he had with Phillip Rivers his first two years in the league, 12 touchdowns between those two. Uh, what do you envision for Hunter against the Colts? You know, do, do, does anyone in the NFL have a better short area game, a quick game, if you will, than the Chargers, right? Between Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry. Um, and again, with Phillip Rivers too, because, man, he can get that ball out quick. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's a better team. Uh, maybe the Patriots. But other than the Patriots, I, I don't know if there's a better team in the NFL other than the Chargers that has a better quick game. And Hunter Henry has a lot to do with that. Um, they will, you know, very, you know, conservatively march that ball downfield and um, they will get the ball in a, in a good position, you know. So for me, I think Hunter Henry is, is a player that um, I love. You know, you, you got on draft day, you got, got him at a discount, right? Because people aren't exactly sure. We haven't seen him play football in a long time. Yeah. Um, so how much has, has the injury sapped his explosiveness? We're not sure. We'll see, you know, um, it's great to see him healthy and back again, but even in, you know, an 80% Hunter Henry is, is absolutely worth it. And you're right. I, I have him right there, you know, outside the, those top three guys and we'll see how Zach Ertz is going to play out. Cause they've got a million tight ends over there, but yeah, Hunter Henry's right there. Um, and I think he's a phenomenal red zone threat and, and certainly somebody that, Look, if he's on the, the right side of luck, um, I, I could see him scoring 10 touchdowns this season. I really could. That, that's how good he is, and that's how much I believe the Chargers will, will lean on him in the red zone. You know, wide receiver, you're rolling Keenan Allen out every single week. We, we know that. Mike yep. Williams is a guy who had 11 total touchdowns last year. You talk about red zone with Hunter, red zone with Mike Williams as well. And Phillip Rivers talked about both those guys. But when he talked about Mike Williams last week, he said the trust-building plays from last year. They, they've got on the same page. He had that three-touchdown performance against the Chiefs. 
And this year, it's almost like it's his second season as opposed to his third, James, because he was hurt right. his rookie year. So uh, the potential of a Mike Williams, especially touchdown heavy, uh, that's a guy you want in your lineup. Well, Tyrell Williams is gone now, right? So, yep. you know, it opens up more opportunities, certainly downfield and, and all over the football field. I think for Mike Williams, for whatever reason, Mike Williams came at an extreme discount this offseason in drafts, and he's a player that I, you know, Why do you think again, that was? Why do you think that was? <sighs> look, people people look at the touchdowns and say, ah, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if that's a repeatable uh, stat for Mike. But, again, I, I and also I think it's because they – don't fully understand that Tyrell Williams was such a huge part of that offense. They were really splitting Tyrell and Mike, the downfield target, mm-hmm. right? Now that Tyrell is gone in Oakland, pretty much just opens up the entire, you know, X position, X receiver position for Mike Williams. And um, I anticipate that he will do well. Again, he's a third-year wide receiver. We've seen a lot of third-year wide receivers blossom. Um, and, and for whatever reason, he, he was going pretty low. I will say this. There was a lot of concern, I think, for the Chargers offensive line, and I think that is absolutely uh, a justified you know, concern. Will the line be able to hold up enough to give Phillip Rivers and Mike Williams the time to test the boundaries downfield? We'll see, you know, but if they utilize play action, that always will help, you know. So, and, and again, a big part of that will be whether or not Melvin Gordon comes back to play, but um, but yeah, if they utilize play action, certainly Mike Williams will see that, uh, see a lot of red zone opportunities and, and a lot of long touchdown opportunities as well. I look, the bottom line is this I don't think he's going to be a guy that gets 90 receptions. Okay. I'm not saying that, right? But 75 receptions is absolutely doable for Mike. Yep. And when you're talking about that kind of touchdown upside, sign me up all day long. The thing with Hunter Henry. James, you're not going to get points for this on your fantasy team, but he's a heck of a blocker. And when you have Russell Kung down the first uh, six games of the season, Hunter may be relied upon to do a little bit more blocking to to help Phillip Rivers uh, and to help that running game too uh, open up some holes. So Hunter's versatility, that actually may hinder him from a fantasy perspective, as funny as that is to say, right? Yeah, I mean, the nice thing is that he'll beat on the field. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and that's good. You know, you want to see your tight end with a very high snap count. Um, I think that kind of feeds into fantasy production in a way because, you know, he's on the field. And to be honest with you, because of his versatility, I think defenses and opposing linebackers won't necessarily know, hey, is he staying in the block or is he going to go <laughs> yep. out on a route, right? So that helps mask some of what they want to get done. And when you got an offensive mastermind like, you know, Ken Wisenhunt out there, he's going he's gonna to take advantage of that, you know? So – um, I think it's good, you know. All of that stuff is, is healthy uh, for fantasy production when we're talking about that end. All right, man. So I was reading Co knows this morning, and you had a couple <laughs> of you had a couple of fire takes, and I love them. <laughs> I think they're great. Saquon finishes outside the top ten running backs. Um, Mike Evans finishes as a top two receiver. I'll let our listeners read the rest. But the Saquon thing is fascinating to me because that's a lot of drafts number one overall player. Why do you think Saquon may not have the year that some are expecting? Well, let me just put it to you this way. You know, um, for whatever reason, people have short memories. You know, I think about 2016 Todd Gurley. He was on an awful, awful offense. And as a result, finished up outside the top 10, outside the top 15 fantasy running backs. I think he was the running back 19 or 20 in 2016 and how short people have 
of a memory that they forget about this, that running backs attached to terrible offenses don't do well. And Saquon Barkley is attached to one of the worst offenses in the NFL, period. No Odell Beckham Jr. And I know people are going to say, oh, well, they added Kevin Zeitler, so the offensive line is going to be good. And I agree, their offensive line will be in the top half. I don't think they'll be a top five unit, but certainly top 15, you know, yeah, 100%. They're going to have a good offensive line. But guess what? They've got zero downfield threats. None. Zero. Sterling Shepard is a slot wide receiver. Evan Ingram is, is, is a tight end that, you know, um, doesn't go downfield. People want to say he does. If you look at the numbers, he does not. Um, his average depth of target is, is, was the second worst in the NFL. So, no, they don't utilize him downfield. They're also down Golden Tate, right? You're also down Golden Tate. You're down Golden Tate. For anyone who thinks that Saquon Barkley is going to do really well, name me three wide receivers on the Giants right now. You can't do it. (laughs) You can't. I don't know who they have running out there. It's impossible. Um, And for me, this is what I I looked at. So, next-gen stats has, you know, eight-plus in the box, right? So, we're talking about loaded boxes. And the, as a percentage of your carries, how many times are you seeing loaded boxes? Saquon Barkley saw loaded boxes last year at a 23% rate. That's about league average. If you don't think, with noodle arm Eli Manning and no wide receivers, that safeties are not going to crowd the box pretty much on every single down, you're going to see a single high safety, and that's it every single time. It's going to be eight guys in the box almost every single play. I think more than 30% of his carries, we're talking about Saquon now, will be against loaded boxes. Well, when I looked over the past three years' worth of data with next-gen stats, okay, only two of 43 running backs who saw 30-plus uh, uh, plus percentage of, of loaded boxes finished as a top-five running back. Wow. That's, that's a 2% clip, guys. You know what I'm saying? So I, don't, I really don't think that it's out of this question to say um, – it is an absolutely uphill battle for Saquon Barkley. Um, I, I just don't, like I said, you could read about it in the column, but there, there's a lot of metrics and a lot of stats that would suggest that Saquon's going to finish outside the top 10. And I know that sounds like a hot take. And listen to me, Saquon, I love Saquon. I think Saquon is awesome. He's one of my favorite players in the league. But, man, come on. It, it, he has a tough, tough sledding in front of him in 2019. James, that's just one of four bold fantasy football predictions you have. So to read the rest, just go to Kono's on Yahoo Sports and check out all of James's take. A lot of great information in that column. That's a weekly column, right? It is indeed. You know, and it, it'll be a lot of different things. You know, some advanced stat stuff, some fun stuff, and you know, I just I just like to write about different things in the NFL. So um, you know, it, it's a fun piece for me. And, and again, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'll always have it out there too. All right, buddy. Final thing for you. A hybrid question here, a, a guy that maybe, guys really, that may be under the radar in week one that you like, that maybe you can actually get on the waiver wire right now. Maybe guys that, that have gone late that you're pretty high on this season to have some sort of production throughout the year. There are three names um, that, I, that I really like, and it all depends on, on how shallow or deeper leagues are. In relatively shallow leagues, you know, Dante Moncrief will be out there. Again, this is in shallow leagues. Um, you know, and, and to me, I think he fills the X receiver role for Pittsburgh. And, and keep in mind, this is a team last year that, you know, they threw, from, they, they threw more than 600 times. Um, they threw for more than 5,000 yards passing. So regardless of who is in or out of that lineup, 
Pittsburgh finds a way to move the ball. I mean, when Le'Veon Bell is out, they move, they move the ball. When Antonio Brown is hurt, they move the ball. Hell, when Ben Roethlisberger is hurt, they move the ball. It's a, it, that offense is as automatic as it gets. I mean, Mike Tomlin doesn't get enough credit. He really doesn't. Um, it is incredible the way they have been able to maneuver around injuries in Pittsburgh. And Antonio Brown is gone, opens up a ton of targets, opens up a ton of air yards. Um, Dante Moncrief, to me, is, is a phenomenal downfield receiver. Um, and I think they'll utilize him in that capacity. So that's one for shallow leagues. Deeper leagues, I really like John Brown. Same idea. Josh Allen, this is a guy that threw the ball deep a ton last year. I like that. As a matter of fact, when we talk about average, um, average depth of target per pass, uh, Josh Allen led the league. So all he's looking to do is bomb it. Guess what? John Brown is a bomber, man. Like, that dude can fly down the field. Um, and I would anticipate, you know, he will receive a lot of really long looks, and that's good for fantasy. Uh, will it be a consistent week-in and week-out contributor? No. But if you stick him in the flex in deeper leagues, that's all you're hoping for. Can I get anywhere between 5 and 20 points for my flex play? That's John Brown right there. Yeah. So, uh, for me, I really like him. Um, I, I think John Brown is, an, is, a, is a good player, and the way they'll utilize him as well, I think, will be the right way, too. So uh, he's somebody for, for deeper leagues and for extremely deep leagues. Um, this running back, Alexander Mattinson, there in Minnesota, he's a backup to Dalvin Cook, who, going all the way back to his college days, has not been able to stay healthy. So I think you can pretty much guarantee that he will miss anywhere between three to seven games this year. Um, just because that, look, that's, that's the kind of the trend, um, that we've seen with Dalvin Cook. So, uh, Alexander Mattinson is a rookie from Boise State, really tough runner, hard runner. And my, the major thing for me, these guys are playing in a Gary Kubiak offense. Gary Kubiak's not the OC per se, but you know, he installed that zone block run scheme of his and, we already know what Gary Kubiak has done to other running backs. I mean, Justin Forsett, Steve Slayton, Mike Anderson, a bunch of no-name guys, 1,500 scrimmage yards, multiple touchdowns. I mean, when he's got good players like Arian Foster and Terrell Davis, 2,200 scrimmage yards. So that's the upside we're talking about running in a Gary Kubiak scheme. To me, that's that home run pick. Um, and you could scoop him up in, in the vast majority of fantasy leagues right now, but he's an absolute mustache on every fantasy bench. James Coe, Yahoo Sports. I love the energy. I love the information. Next time, I'm getting you and Harmon together on this podcast, <laughs> on this radio show. So we'll make that happen at some point during the year. Promote what you got going on this season as we get ready for week one, man. It's going to be a long season. Thank you, brother. I, I always tell people you can follow me on Twitter. I do a really good job, or at least I try to, of answering you know questions on Twitter. So at James D. Coe, spelled K-O-H. Um, and man, you know what? We got a free week of direct uh, of Direct TV's Red Zone uh, Max, and every single Sunday, if you flip on that channel, Direct TV channel seven hundred four, um, it's Red Zone, but we do it with a fantasy twist. And so we go game to game. We show you all the scores, but we're going to give you great fantasy analysis as well. There's a free preview of that going on right now on week one, DirecTV channel 704, um, the fantasy zone. So be sure to check that out. James Cove, we'll see you soon, buddy. Always appreciate your time. Chris, always appreciate it, man. Talk to you soon. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. A big thanks to James Cove, Stephen Holder, and Daniel Jeremiah for joining me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back Friday with part two of an extended Chargers Weekly for the opener. 
And remember, be sure to download and subscribe to the new Chargers Podcast Network. A lot of great stuff up already. Tuesday, we posted our Phillip Rivers and Anthony Lynn interviews on the Backstage Chargers Podcast. The debut of Playmakers this week with Haley Elwood. She interviewed CBS Sports' Melanie Collins. And of course, part two of Chargers Weekly on Friday. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, I'm Chris Harey.